welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and have we just been role-playing how our spouses would podcast this entire time? And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I clearly haven't been eating enough late-night noodles. And today we're breaking down Fagging Niwa. What? Fagging Niwa? Oh, sorry. In the mood for love. Is that what it's called in uh, Chinese? China? <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong. Hong Kong. What's it yeah. called? Fagging Niwa. Fagging Niwa. Fagging. I think it's Yung. And it's not Niwa, it's Ninwa. <laughs> I'm so glad you, you caught up with my. We're checking out my. Uh, doing some fact checking here. Do we have any Chinese listeners? <laughs> not anymore. Ah, oh, yes. In the mood for love, which, you know, is what this film's all about, isn't it, Hendo? Just really getting you in the mood to, to love and be loved. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spoil my opinions uh, too early in the show. That's not like you to not go early, but before we uh, get into In the Mood for Love, just a quick heads up, as always, we will be spoiling this movie from the get-go, so if you haven't seen it, which I imagine there's a lot out there who haven't, you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into the mood for love. I'm in the mood for love Simply because you're near me Funny, but when you're near me, I'm in the mood for love. So, In the Mood for Love, released in 2000, starring Maggie Chung and Tony Leung, directed by Ka Wai Wong, who actually did another film that you haven't seen yet, that you will be seeing soon. Chung King Express. I did, I did see right. that when I looked him up. I was like, oh, he did that. I've got to watch that. That's a film. Yeah, did you know? Did you know that when you picked it? No, I didn't know it until after the movie ended, and I actually oh. looked it up. Well, there you go. So we got cinematography by Christopher Doyle, who did the cinematography for Hero. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. That's it's, it's a big movie for cinematography. It is. He actually had to leave when the production went over schedule, and they got in Mark Lee Ping Bin. So they are credited as dual cinematographers here. Hmm. Yeah, you say it took over because it did go so long over overshoot, didn't it? It took like fifteen months to film this film. Yeah, that's that's a very very long time to film a you know hour forty film which is predominantly set in, you know, roughly the same locations with the same two actors. Yeah, from what I've been reading, uh, there's basically next to no script of this film, and a lot of it is, you know, impromptu or created by the actors, the two principal actors and the director here. did remind me a bit of, like, Before Sunset. Oh, before my God, I was, I was going to say that. <laughs> That's what this reminded me of, Before yeah. Sunrise. Yeah. Wow. All right, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Originally, this film was supposed to be a much more obvious romance film that had the actors throwing out the witty dialogue at each other and engaging in several scenes of lovemaking. And eventually, the actors and directors decided to tone the mood down to the more subtle version that was released in the theatres. So they toned down the mood for love. I mean, it is a very toned down film. i got to say, when I picked it, I didn't realise it was G-rated. Going in, it's been a <laughs> while. Shattered. It's been a while since I've seen a G-rated non-kids film. It's... You sort of don't expect it. Did you let yourself down when you're like, all right, for our 69th breakdown, we're going with a G-rated film? <laughs> Subverting everyone's expectations. I think I think you were right when you said, like, why didn't you pick The Handmaiden? <laughs> <laughs> so In the Mood for Love premiered at the 2000 Cannes Film Festival on the 20th of May, where it was nominated for The Palm Door. 
and actually lost to a film that we've done a breakdown on before. Do you know what the film that is, Dean? Uh, I could give you 10 guesses and you'll never get it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. uh Edmund. <laughs> I mean, you're closer than I thought. It was another Brother Shane patron pick, yeah, Dancer in the, the Dark. One? Oh, Dancer in the Dark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tony Leung was awarded Best Actor uh, that year's Cannes Film Festival. He was the first Hong Kong actor to win this award. Yeah. He's uh, he's good. I didn't realize these two principals were like two of the leads in Hero. I mean, how did I not see that? I googled both their names, and I oh, knew that like- Tony the Young was Tony the Young is in Infernal Affairs. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see him there as Hero or Maggie Chung, but I knew the name Maggie Chung. Yeah, she plays Flying Snow, which is the you know not the young girl, the 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 woman in Hero. That makes perfect sense. I knew that name from somewhere, but how come that didn't come up? And he plays That's that the- main that main man, like it's not obviously Jet Li, but the main other guy, the king. No, not oh, the no, king. Oh no, the other guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Jeez, all right. Look at you throwing in some trivia here for a change. I mean, apparently these two are in like a ton of movies together. This is like, like their thing. Yeah, Tony Tony Lung plays Broken Sword in Hero. Man, I want to watch Hero so much. Maybe I might pick it later on. For what? For a breakdown. Is it in the top 250? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, actually, it might not be anymore. I know it was. I'm actually going to check this now. It's got a 7.9. It is okay, not, then it doesn't. It is not in the top 250. It, I did not think it was. It was. It used to be. Okay, that's going back some years, though. Yeah, back when I was like 15 and had every poster of the top 250 on my wall. I remember I remember having a little hero poster on there. Hmm. So the original idea and inspiration for the film stemmed from a Japanese short story concerning two characters who often walk by each other in a stairwell but do not converse. And in that story the characters ended up committing suicide. Yeah. Much more bleaker ending. I mean, it's very bleak and for them not to talk, it's I mean it's yeah, sure it, it might have been inspired by that, but it's hardly based on when you have the the main character's not talking. I think I think it's a very different uh, source material. So, did you notice the changes in dresses all the time? Oh, I, lo- I made a I made an important note. The costumes are fantastic. She basically wears the exact same outfit every single time we see her, with a completely different design on it. It's fantastic. Absolutely. It's great. She looks very very good. There were forty six dresses in total, although not all of them made it to the final cut. Ah. But this was released in Hong Kong on the 29th of September in 2000 with a runtime of 98 minutes. The original cut was 130 minutes long before 32 minutes were edited out to achieve a 99 minute 99. It says fucking runtime 98 and then it says 99 here. Yeah, I know. You said 98 before. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's 99. Look <laughs> at IMDb contradicting itself. 99 minute theatrical cut. I'm so glad they cut it down. I feel like it may have extended its welcome if it went any longer. I, th- I feel like the runtime here is 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 tight in a good way. So you're saying that it hasn't extended its welcome here. Interesting. Maybe. Tagline, feel the heat, keep the feeling burning, let the sensation explode. <laughs> That's a fucking G-rated movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a deceptive tagline. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> You imagine, you imagine some, you know, pervy fifteen-year-old going into a video store one day in the mood for love, and it's got this tagline. Maybe you know the 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 rating is in Chinese, and he doesn't realise what it is, and he sits down and watches this. (laughs) It's like in The Simpsons when they go to see Naked Lunch, rated R, and he's like, I can think of I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. So, I couldn't see any recorded budget for this film, but it did make worldwide uh, just under $13 million. 
I have no idea if that is good for a yeah. Hong Kong film. I have no idea. Yeah, I cannot. I don't know. Was it was it a success or not? But apparently, it's supposed to be part of this uh, kind of loose uh, quadrilogy of films that is based around the sort of theme rather than the characters. There are is- two films that have already come out, and there's supposed to be one that's coming out this year as well. I think it was called Blossoms. Blossoms. Mm. Okay. I was going to say, is Chunking Express one of them? But no, it's not. I think this. I think the one that came out after this was called Twenty Forty Six, which is actually the number on the apartment of this movie. Yep, I think it is. I, I forgot the name of the first one. Uh, obviously, it's an international film, so there won't be. The, I'm pretty sure the only Oscar it would be nominated for at that time would be, uh, you know, foreign language film. But it didn't get nominated for it. It did get nominated for a BAFTA for best film not in the English language, which it lost to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, tough year to be nominated for that. <laughs> Absolutely. But this this film does have this uh, this massive following out there. If you if you go and check out all these sites and that, it's it's very high on all, all these different places. This film was ranked number two in BBC's 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century. It's the highest ranking non English film on that list. Not surprising. It is the highest ranked modern film on Sight and Sound's top 250 list. It was uh, number 25 on that list. In 2006, a survey by the BBC voted it the second best film of the 21st century by over 170 film critics from around the world. It's extraordinary. But looking at some of the scores we do here, what do you reckon, Dean? Critics or audience? Oh, critics. No. Not even- what? Come on. Yep. Critics give it a 90% and the audience give it a 94. Wow. Metacritic have it at 85. Letterboxd have it at 4.4. <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> that is huge. But let's take a look at the history of this film in the IMDb Top 250 list. This is probably one of the most scattered graphs I've seen for a film we've done so far. Is this one that's been coming in and out coincidentally? Hmm? That's probably what you thought at the at the end of last week's episode when you didn't know what you were getting yourself into with this G-rated film. Hmm. <laughs> you cannot understand my disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Debuted onto the list at number 249. The highest it ever got to was number 223 in mid-2005, and then it's had its uh, up and down run out of the list. It finally came back into the list in mid-2017 and has been hovering around that bottom area of the list for the last three years, where it currently sits now at number 237, with an average of 8.0 over 119,000 votes. Well, there you go. Not exactly a uh, a staple of the list, is it? You are correct there, sir. Now, did you see a plot summary for this before you went into the film, or did you go in like completely blind? What do you think? I think you knew bugger all about this film. Absolutely nothing. Did you know it was foreign? Yes, I knew it was foreign. <laughs> All right, just checking. See, so I I knew nothing about this film just before I watched oh, it. Good. I checked. No, I checked the Why? plot summary. What? Why? Because I honest, I need I need to have an idea of what I'm walking into. If it's going to take me like you know 20 minutes to finally understand what's going on, I'm going to be I'm going to be confused in the first 20 minutes. Like, okay, what's going on? What's happening here? Oh, it's all about this. Oh shit! I don't. I need to go back and ha- you know That's set this the up movie's from the start again. Fault. No, it's not the movie's fault. I mean, if the movie if the movie needed you to know something like a plot summary, why don't they just open with a text with the plot summary? It's ridiculous what you're text. saying. Yes, they do, but it's not a plot summary. <laughs> the plot summary on IMDb is two neighbours, a woman and a man, form a strong bond after both suspect extramarital activities of their spouses. And this is where I actually don't think I kept reading. However, they agree to keep their bond platonic as to not commit similar wrongs. Because I all I knew was that first sentence. I didn't even I didn't even have in my mind that they 
end up doing a platonic relationship here, which may or may not have helped. Well, did it? <laughs> you We're going to find just, out. You could just tell us if it helped or not. <laughs> Do you not know uh, the answer? It helped. Oh, good. Good. Now, imagine how much help it would be if you had no idea of the plot going in. Oh. Well, I'm going to find out from you. Oh. If you're going to if you're going to come out of this going, I had no idea what was going on. I don't care about these characters. The whole thing was terrible. Just the whole, <laughs> I couldn't understand a bloody thing that was going on here. I'm like, well, you should have read a fucking plot summary. Should have turned the subtitles on is what I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Let's get into this breakdown of In the Mood for Love. Did you make note of these little, you know, this little poem that came up? I did make note, verbatim. Well, I did the whole thing here. Yeah, that's what verbatim means. Uh, Yes, I was waiting for you to read it. It is a restless moment. She has kept her head lowered to give him a chance to come closer, but he could not for lack of courage. She turns and walks away. Now, after seeing this film, what do you think that means? Is that playing? Is that talking about their final moment together? I mean... I think I think it encapsulates their relationship, you know, restless, obviously, they're restless. She's kept her head lowered, so she's inviting, she's showing, uh, you know, vulnerability, she's invited inviting him in to make a move, but he can't. The lack of courage, yeah, the is, lack is of courage. Thing there. The la- oh, no, I would say the other way. I would say I would I don't think it's a lack of courage, is it? I mean, they really they they you know, a little bit into this film here, they really feel like they w- they want to do this, but they decide not to. Yeah, I think I think we need to move on here. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we come back to it, maybe not. We have another poem to get to at the end. Yes, we do, of course. What would a movie be without a final poem? Hong Kong 1962. Now, 1962, what importance do you think that plays? I think it has something to do with, I read up a little bit about the history. Uh, wasn't the British kind of taking over a little bit here? Yeah, Hong Kong was a British colony or some shit, and yeah. they were fighting for independence. Uh, and things were getting restless, I think, closer to 63 as the film goes on. But I think it's just more a, you know, emblematic of that right now, it's not so... Uh, what word am I looking for? Prickly? Not the word I was looking for, but that'll do. It's socially acceptable? Nah, no, nah, not socially acceptable. It's not so prickly in Hong Kong, and things are about to get prickly. Oh, I was talking about the social acceptance of the relationship between a man and a woman who are not in a relationship, and how these two people try to avoid being seen in that sort of way. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well. I think uh, in you know Western culture, at least, see, it's hard because I feel like there is a massive cultural divide between me as a uh you know an Aussie bloke watching a film set in the 60s in China there's a lot yeah. here that maybe I'm not understanding just through a cultural standpoint where yeah, I agree you look at like I didn't even think of that where you say maybe it was set in the 60s because it does emphasize or at least shine a brighter light on the fact that you know having a platonic friendship like a true friendship between a man and a woman especially a man and a woman who are married just was not possible but the thing is i'm not even sure like i don't know what things are like now in hong kong like it wouldn't surprise me if you said to me well in hong kong culture or in chinese culture in uh, eastern yeah. culture this is still not acceptable or maybe not acceptable is not right but uh socially frowned maybe it's not upon. a strict yeah maybe it's not so yeah like you said frowned upon yeah so, there was that always in the back of my mind as well watching this. And there's a few things here, like straight off the bat, like you talk about um, you know, Eastern culture. Mrs. Swen, she's, you know, she asks, what should I call you to Mrs. Chan? And her response yeah. 
isn't, you know, Sue or Mrs. Chan. It's my husband's name is Chan. It's like yeah. she identifies only through her husband here and through her husband's name. I think that's And she says it again about- later when she introduces herself to Mr. Chow. Yeah, it says a lot about who she is and how she feels about her own personal identity here and how much of it yeah. is intertwined in her husband. How well dressed is, like, we go on about, you know, 46 <laughs> dresses for uh, Mrs. Chani. Mr. Chow is a dapper-looking fella. Oh, my, man, I was legit about to say a dapper-looking man. He has got <laughs> some a, Don Draper. Right <laughs> He's got some Don Draper shit happening on with that hairdo as well. That is, He's that looking is good. slick. Slick. <laughs> so, I'm curious, what, like, what is your thoughts? Like, because now that I knew that the, the plot was centered around that, I picked up on it very quickly that we're not going to see the spouses in this film. Just the way everything was being shot, you never see the the husband and the wife of these two characters. It's funny you say that because the first scene where I think we don't see uh, Mr. Chan and we see Mrs. Chan speaking to him through a doorway and we only see her, I, I, I made a note. I thought I was really clever here. I was like, oh, <laughs> look, we don't even see. Like, you know, there's this barrier between them. You know, it shows, you know, shows so much on on this character. But then every single scene is like that. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, this isn't a cool pickup by me. This is actually <laughs> extraordinarily obvious. <laughs> but I, li- I like that they've done this in this film. It really shows that distance between, you know, the characters themselves and the fact that it's we're focusing on these other two. Like, that we don't need to see a face to these other people. It's really the the... The emotions and the relationship between you know our main two characters. Yeah, they are they are merely figureheads here. You know, yeah. it's funny because they're two of the four main characters in this film, and we never yeah, seen they, it. They only exist as you know an idea, basically for for the audience. There's there's a or an interesting way this film is sort of shot that I kept picking up on, and it's it the seems framing. like yeah, the like. They're, it's like we're looking through them through something else. Like it's yeah. always behind something or, you know, there's around something the corner. Always, yeah, there's something always obscuring uh, the shot in the foreground um, with yeah. these characters, you know, further further in front there. And it does give that sense like, yes, we're watching something, but it removes them that extra step. Like it really yeah. does feel voyeuristic almost watching these people form yeah. a relationship. No, I completely agree. I am, first off, I am very pleased that we have agreed on a lot of the stuff so far. I did not know what you were going to think coming into this film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. I mean, we we haven't really given, uh, I guess we've given some opinion, but uh, I feel like at this point, I, I think this film is a perfect film to have a serious discussion about, to analyse on a serious level and look at filmmaking and you know, techniques and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Not Maybe not the most entertaining podcast will come from it, but definitely <laughs> definitely, there's content there to discuss. There's a, there's, I feel like the, the themes that I was getting out of this film about, you know, love and, you know, loss in a way and the fear of change as well. This was not the kind of movie I was expecting and it really kind of, you know, put me through a loop for a bit. I'm like, wow, this is, 
something I really feel like we're going to have a, a much more different discussion than what we usually do on this show. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Samsung Notes has updated on my phone and it's now, because it used to just be one big block of text, but now they've changed Notes to be more like you know computers and PDFs and they have pages yeah. now, okay? <laughs> Guess how many pages I wrote on this in my Notes? Four. 24. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. How big, how big is the page? Like a couple of lines? <laughs> it's mate, I will, uh, no, it's yeah, a couple paragraphs per per page. So I just kept writing and writing. Damn, and you've writing. gone all out, son. I mean, I didn't. A film like this, where it relies so much on the audience picking up on the smallest glances, these little looks, you know, these 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 tiny physical movements, these lines yep. that are just dropped in. Like they're so. So small, these everyday things that people do all the time that this film really focuses on. And I thought, I've got to start writing this stuff down <laughs> because <laughs> it's going to come to a point later where maybe this stuff's important. And when we're talking, I'm going to read something I've written, you know, 20 minutes into this film that is going to mean a lot more after having watched the film than I might realize right now. So I, I did a, I did copious amounts of notes for this film. Well, I'm glad for a change you've written down. You've actually done some research and some notes. Ah, uh, you underestimate me, young Hendo. <laughs> <laughs> like, you even have here where you get the like the back-to-back scenes of them at their separate workplaces and how how they're going through their daily life. And th- this is not a section where it's got like cut in between. You have a full scene of Miss Chan at her work, and then you have a full scene of Mister Chow at his work, and it really just shows their the day to day life at the moment. And, it, and like I said before, when you don't see the, the, the spouses, it really it really shows their life as kind of- Lonely. Like, I was going to say bland, but lonely is is also you know the perfect sum- summary for that. They, and, and, and like you said, this film relies a lot on the actors and their facial expressions and their mannerisms and how they're, they're coming off to us. There's not a lot of uh, in-depth discussion about how they're feeling. It's, they do that through their emotions. And you can tell here that they are just- deeply sad and depressed and alone. Yeah, I agree. And again, maybe it's uh, me being stereotypical here, but I don't often, or at least I don't think it's stereotypical. From what I've seen of uh, Eastern culture, I don't get, you know, vulnerable and discussing emotions a lot from them. I feel like they do convey a a sense of, you know, a wall to, to some extent. Do you, do you know what I mean? I do. I do. Yeah, they're not they're not they don't talk about their feelings as much as what I've seen. And maybe I, maybe I just haven't watched enough Chinese films, but I was not expecting these people to really start opening up about how they're feeling. So, yeah, what you really this film just relies so hard on its audience. This the first half of this film, I was really, really toying with so many ideas of what was actually going on. Because there's so many little scenes that are sort of yep. thrown around together. There's so much fade to black as well. Now, these oh, fades... Jeez, what is going on? That was my next thing I was going to talk about, these fade to black transitions. These fade to black transitions always left me feeling like there's more. So, here's yeah. a scene, we're going to fade to black, and now we're going to start a new scene. And when they start this new scene, I'm thinking... Oh, what did I miss in this last scene? And then my mind starts ticking over, like, okay, what could have happened in that scene? What aren't it's like this, we being shown? This is shown just their yet? life. Yeah, this is just their life. We're moving on with it, and like you said, it just feels like it should be carrying on there. It's like it's not. It feels like it's a legit 
real life story because you just feel like you're just moving on. You know, what there was more to happen to that, but we're going to go on to an, a later part in their life rather than going on to the next scene with a cut. It feels like it's just progressing naturally through their life. Mm, no, very good, very good use of the fade to black. So you mentioned Mrs. Chan before at her work. I found it fascinating that. You know, obviously, we know that the husband, uh, Mrs. Sorry, not Mrs. The husband, Mr. Chan, is often abroad and will spend weeks on end in Japan. Uh, and uh, you know, you sort of do start to get a sense, like, okay, she's unhappy. Maybe the husband's having an affair. But the way she reacts with her boss here, Mr. Ho, is so strange to me that it is just so open and accepted that her boss has a wife and a mistress. And you've got Mrs. Chan here who is like organizing and buying presents and organizing dinners and canceling. And she's juggling these two relationships for her boss. And what I love, there's so many scenes here where you get a scene and then later on you'll get a mirror of that scene where it's almost exactly the same, but one detail's been changed. So here, you know, she's on the phone to his wife saying, oh, he's late, don't stay up for dinner, etc., etc. And then he goes and has uh, a reservation at eight with his mistress. And later yep. on, we get this scene where he's going home to his wife's birth- birthday or his birthday and we get the mistress calling up, like, what's going on? Oh, he's working late. It's I just found it was so so well done at just conveying, like, yeah, these both these people here are getting lied to. They might think like this, I bet this mistress thought, Oh, how lucky am I? I've got all his attention, I've got all his love now. But really, he is lying to, you know, the other one as much as he is lying to the first one. You talk about mirroring. I think that situation happens that situation happens later on with uh, Mr. Chow as well, where you you hear Mrs. Chow on the phone saying, "No, you don't need to come and and get me from work. I need to stay back. I'm doing you know extra work." But then he does go there and he finds out that she's already left. Yeah, yeah, that's that's rough. And I love yeah. I love the way that uh, Mr. Chow he plays it off as lighthearted and oh, she's forget she always forgets to tell me stuff. She's probably at home. And then well, it's, it's, it's the to, denial but phase, it, but then it cuts to him, and he knows. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think he's in denial. I think he's, you know, trying to, you know, show a socially safe face. Yeah, safe face, and trying not to act like yeah, you're being lied to by your wife. But I, I don't think he's in denial. I think he's well aware that he is. Uh, he's being played a bit here. I think we get roughly around this point here. We've got basically is it the. First and only meeting of uh, well, the interaction of Mr. Chow and Mr. Chan when he's talking about the rice cooker. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Pretty sure, like, there's some uh, definitely some subtle hints here. Uh, Mr. Mr. Chan already saying that he's already spoken to Mrs. Chow about this. Like, oh, okay, you've already spoken to my wife. Interesting. Yeah, and he d- he does come across as uh, as not overly impressed that this other man has spoken to his wife. Yeah, and again, that's what we talked about. That's you know how it was. I guess this is how it was back in the sixties. Like, if you, if are they? Is it uh, the social norm to be talking to someone else's wife while the husband is not there? But then again, oh, well, I was going to say because I don't think have have Mister Chow and Missus Chan spoken yet. Yes, yes, they, they speak, ha- yes, they have, they they speak would, when they, they move in together because they have the confusion over magazines and who who's. Whose items belong yeah. to who? Because they move in and they were, at the exact same time, of course. And they were also just talking before about getting the rice cooker before this exact scene. Yeah, but I I think this scene here with Mr. Chow and Mr. Chan, 
you do get, you know, you get a line from one of them saying, oh, Mrs. Chan's already paid him. Didn't she tell you? So, you get communication problems here already from him. Yeah. But now we're introduced to one of the few characters who aren't, you know, Mr. Chow or Mrs. Chan. Uh, Ping. He's a Ping. bit of a different character. He's definitely portrayed in a different way as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like, he feels like a more down-to-earth bloke than these other very reserved people that we follow around. You know, like, we get all the all the overly politeness from Mr. Chan and... Sorry, Mr. Chow and Mrs. First of all, were you confused on which one's Chow and which one's Chan? Not when I was putting up my notes, but when I'm trying to look at them and talk, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a little confused. But you see here where Ping is just, like, talking to Mr. Chow about how he's left his hat there so he can strategically go back. Like, are we watching Seinfeld now? Like, what's there going on here? sly dog. <laughs> and it's a funny line he actually says to Mr. Chow here, saying uh, that Mr. Chow's wife, so Mrs. Chow, is so lucky that she's so attractive because she doesn't need to worry about Mr. Chow cheating because you wouldn't cheat on someone that attractive. And it's just like, God, is is infidelity so rife here that uh, being concerned with cheating is almost the default setting for these married couples? Well, like you said, there's already big open discussions about having a mistress, like it's just a, a known thing. Yeah, no, you're right. What did you make of uh, all the slow-mo uh, different scenes going on? In particular, the scenes where they're they're crossing their like their paths, going down to get their noodles. Yeah, absolutely loved it. I felt it broke up the slow pace that we had seen prior, which is ironic considering <laughs> it's you know breaking up slow pacing with literal slow mo. But that music, that violin score, is phenomenal, and the way that builds up with this slow mo, like every time it hit, I was so like excited, like ooh, what's going to happen? And ultimately fuck all happens every time which is you know the way of this film but it's it's so engaging because there's so little happening on screen every little thing that does happen is so magnified okay i was gonna say i was gonna disagree with you when you said that nothing happened nothing you know happens but when you're saying because so little is happening it magnifies the actual small things that are happening to make them larger that is absolutely true because all I'm thinking of is their first walk past each other with that tiny little glance and it's so noticeable. And then the next time when, hmm. you know, uh, Mr. Chow is up at the top of the stairs and Mrs. Chan is getting her, her noodles and you just see, you can just see like the, the glimpses and the turnbacks and the double takes that they're giving each other. It Like little things are magnified so much in this film to, to where they become so significant. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Which is such a strength of this film. One thing I want to talk about is time in this film what did you make of the time structure i started to just uh go off the different colors of the dress yeah she has a different dress each time so that's that's sort of uh hard to go off okay i I, I didn't real i didn't realize that she had a dress a different dress every single time so once i started to notice oh her dress is different oh this is a new time this is a new you know a new night perhaps this is like there's a scene Mm. where they're in the restaurant and then they cut to they're in the car and it's a different dress i'm like oh this must be another night yeah I have a confession to make. For a a half-decent amount of time, I toyed with the idea in my head that this film was not being portrayed to us chronologically. Oh, man, if that was if it wasn't chronologically, this is even more of a there, <laughs> mind there melt. Were a, there were a number of scenes where I felt like the relationship between Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan was you might have a scene where they're, uh, I mean, very familiar for them, 
but then the next scene, they're like strangers again. And I was watching it thinking, is this out of order? Like, are we watching something that is actually not <laughs> as it's I really hope you understand what they were doing. Uh, yes, I do. I do. Okay, and we'll get good. to that. Um, yes. But at this point, I was I was concerned with... Not concerned. Concerned's not the right word. I wasn't thinking it and was hating it. It just made me like this film even more that I was so invested at this point that I started toying with these sort of ideas. I mean, what other films do you watch where you're not sure if it's chronological or not? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually true. Like, you can pretty much tell just by watching certain movies, like, okay, you can tell this is out of order. This one here, you honestly... I could see your point of view there where you, you would think that it's it's out of order because of the way they're acting. And mm. we, we, honestly, we, obviously, we, know, we obviously know why they're doing that and we start to pick up on that pretty quickly coming up. But i got to tell you, the, even though I knew what they were doing, there was you know several scenes where I genuinely was confused if it was actually them doing what they were doing or if it was back to like real life. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Uh, and some of those scenes are the are the best scenes of the film. But yeah, they're like little things I thought were really good ways for the filmmaker to show the audience that time had passed. For example, when she does first borrow this magazine off him, we next see her returning it, but she doesn't return one magazine. She's now returning a pile of books. So we know that, okay, she's borrowed this, she's returned it, she's borrowed more, she's returned them. She's at the point where she's borrowing like six books at a time now. So yeah. they've obviously had many, many more interactions together and their relationship is progressing. I thought it was fantastic. I, honestly, I was just these little things where you notice it and it's almost like you get a sense of like, oh, I, I got that. Like I picked up on this little thing. Like I don't need, you know, I don't need to be told in, in no uncertain terms what's happening here. I, I like, really, a, like a date, a date on the screen. Yeah, I, re- I really did enjoy that aspect of this film. And here, like, if we see a phone conversation here with uh, Mrs. Chow and Mr. Chow, obviously. And what I love about this scene is, again, it's another mirror of an earlier scene where in the first scene, we've got this big round or sort of semicircle or half circle here, which frames Mrs. Chow. And we only see the back of her head. Okay, she's talking to Mr. Chow and we don't see her face as we've discussed prior. But now we get this phone conversation with Mr. Chow and it shows the exact same shot. She's not even in this shot now. She's been removed from the narrative here visually. It's so powerful. I love how in-depth and thorough you've gotten with this film. You have not done this in a very long time, I must say. I couldn't help myself, man. Like, in (laughs) case you haven't noticed... I got really into this film. <laughs> no, I'm liking it. I'm really liking it. We get Ping back here telling his, you know, degenerate gambling story to Mr. Chow. And this is like- a legitimately funny scene here. <laughs> he goes to a hoy house and gets credit. <laughs> like they took his ID and now they're flashing it around the place. <laughs> oh. But even still, he's like, yeah, I had two bucks left. So I went to the whole house. Like, well, hang on. <laughs> He's only had some noodles for lunch today. <laughs> He's gone uh, over the whole house with his last two bucks. But it's here where, you know, if we weren't sure before this, we're definitely sure now. When Ping tells uh, Mr. Chow that he saw his wife walking down the street yesterday of some guy. And again, we get, the same, we get the same response from Mr. Chow. Like, uh, it's probably a friend. It's fine. But I think it's interesting that we don't see his face in this scene. We just see the back of his head. Like, it's... It's like, do we need? We don't need to see his facial reactions and his emotion to this right now. It's more just about him, him, like you said, brushing it off. Like, okay, it's probably nothing. Let's move on. Hmm. It's more so about the thought in his head. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I think this is where we have our. I think it's the first and only interaction between 
Mrs. Chow, Mrs. Chan. Yeah, we see, we get the shot of Mrs. Chan standing at the door, and obviously we don't see uh, Mrs. Chow. Yeah. But my favorite part of this scene was how she is so proper when she's speaking to Mrs. Chow. Like it doesn't really matter what they're saying; she's presenting herself as you know very good posture, very, yeah, very bright formal. and bubbly. Yeah, very formal, but. She's presenting a very positive outlook, but then as soon as as soon as Mrs. Chow closes the door, like the camera, oh, re- oh, the camera just lingers on her, and she just starts to slump. The smile disappears, you know. And I've I've written in my notes here, like, was she going there to see Mr. Chow? Are they having an affair now? Like, I'm I'm constantly trying to work out like when when this affair is going to start. And obviously, well, it doesn't- I'm really curious to to hear your thoughts on. You know, what ultimately becomes of that relationship. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously it doesn't go the way that uh, I was expecting it to go. But, yeah, I've just, yeah, it's great. And how's, how's the stinger right at the end of this scene when she goes in she's like, yeah, it was your wife. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, which is crazy because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I hadn't considered the possibility that these two cheating uh, spouses, I guess, were, were cheating with each other. Well, that's what you get for not reading a plot summary. <laughs> Oh, did you already know they were cheating with each other? I mean, I don't know if it said it or not, but I was just under the impression. Oh, okay. What does it say here? No, I don't think. I don't oh, think. Oh, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Wow, I just had it in my mind that they were that they were cheating on each other with them with each other. Hmm. Hmm. All right then. And again, we get this tiny scene here where we see Mrs. Chan just crying in the shower, like a really sad shot. And then we cut to a married hand knocking on a door, and uh, you know. Wedding ring, very visible, fade to black. And there's these all yeah. these all these little scenes they just throw in just help so much with the mood and atmosphere of this film. The close-up of the hand with the wedding ring, uh, they do it several times in this film to great effect. Yes. I did pick up on a couple of things that happen in this next scene where you've got Mrs. Chan at work when she's making a coffee for her boss. And she, you can see even now when she's ma- waiting for the coffee to be made, she's by herself and you can just look in, you see the look on her face. She is just... She's so sad and distant because she she knows she knows what's going on here, and some of the stuff that gets that's get that gets talked about here, the fact that she says to her boss uh, something about the I think it might have something to do with maybe the tie when she says you notice things if you pay attention, and I yeah. feel like that's really calling back. I think she she knows at this point she must know at this point about what's going on, and because of this, what she's saying, she notices these things. If you're just paying attention to what is actually happening, you'll know what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, and I th- this is this is a this is a good, another good scene here because you know like you got Mrs. Chan here who we've already seen her be very open with her boss Mr. Ho about his infidelity, but this time it's it's different. Like she's she she tells him that Miss Yu, the mistress, has sent this gift over, and there's now this very awkward moment between her where I think that Mr. Ho is now picks up that Mrs. Chan all of a sudden is. Not as okay with this as she was previously. Now that she's, you know, she's knowing that it's it's happening to her as well. Yeah, she's in the wife's side now. She uh, she's thinking about how is this going to be affecting his, you know, his partner. Yeah, there was a line that she said here as well that I I made a note of, and I I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Like, was this a subtle drop at how this film was going to end? When he comes out and he's changed his tie, and she's like, "Why? Why'd you change it back?" And he says, "The new one was too showy. I should stick with my own." And I'm like, "Oh, is that like a, oh. a subtle hint to what uh, how it's going? How it her is. mind? Yeah, I think and I was it is. Like, okay, because I didn't know. I, I didn't know. know how this was going. I'm like, oh, I feel like this is you know a little red herring here. Yeah, it's definitely. Oh, you thought there was some foreshadowing, eh? 
It's yeah. definitely it's definitely saying more about how you know he's not really talking about a tie. Obviously, no. he's talking about you know his his new hotness, his new you, and uh, yeah, she's too showy. Needs to go back home. Needs to see yeah. the wife. So th- we get the second of the the big slow mos here where yeah. they're getting their noodles. This time he actually waits at the top because of the rain. Have you ever waited? Like in the rain, like waited at a certain place to wait for the rain to stop before you continued on your journey. Yes, I have. I was 14, maybe 15, and I was walking to my friend's house, as I often did, and the rain was so heavy, like unbelievably heavy. I wasn't even that far from him. I stopped and I, I found cover and tried to wait it out. Did you have to wait long? I mean, I have no idea, but it's- it's I'm still there. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, like- you know what was it three two days ago in australia where we are now uh in australia in melbourne it rained for like oh, 12 hours so straight i reckon like yeah. it was it was non-stop and my just- front and backyard were like almost <laughs> flooded basically <laughs> like you just sort of think yeah you could you can wait but you might be waiting some hours mate yeah i just find it funny how you know because you know we work in supermarkets it's funny when it's pouring of rain and you get these people that are standing at the front waiting for the rain to stop so they can go to their car i'm like it's like a th- it's like five steps to your car you could be there for half an hour i'm just always shocked when anyone walks into a supermarket when it is like torrential raining like i have never left my house to go <laughs> grab something from a supermarket in torrential rain in my life Okay, I I just don't do it. And it's weird, like, sometimes with supermarkets, you sort of basically, the the easy way of looking at it is, oh, if it's really hot, then sales will be better. If it's raining, sales will drop. But sometimes it goes the other way, where if it's raining, there's nothing else to do, so they come to the supermarket. Yeah, I I have never had the urge to leave my house whilst it's raining. I'll give you a hot tip. (laughs) But no, we after this slow-mo scene, we do get Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan. They're going up to the rooms uh, now, and Mr. Chow comments, you know, maybe a bit rude. Gee, I haven't seen your husband in a while. Yep, could have said it a bit more better. Yeah, But she retorts... I haven't seen your wife in a while either. Hmm. And his reaction, his response, like, oh, yeah, her mother's ill. Like, even he doesn't believe what he's saying here. The look on his face is like, he, d- he can't even convince himself. Yeah, yeah. But again, at this point, she she goes in and refuses dinner with uh, Mrs. Suen or Mrs. Koo, whoever they are. She does that a number of times. She refuses to uh, socialize with them. Now, is that does that have anything to do with them or just her state of mind at the moment? Oh, it's got. I don't think it has anything to do with them. I think it's hundred percent on her. Where, I mean, you know, is, is she of the the mindset where she doesn't deserve to be happy, or she's just so sad and depressed that she will not enjoy an evening with other people? Maybe yep. she's starting to see, you know, Mister Chow now, and gossiping plays such a major role in you know the the outcome of their relationship that maybe. She wants to avoid contact with other people because the less she sees and speaks to them, the less ammo she's going to give them or or less less chance that she'll have a moment of slipping up and saying something she shouldn't. Yeah. Which is ironic yeah, exactly. because really <laughs> she almost has nothing to hide. No, but it's just that it's that the way it is back then. Yeah. But they do they they do go out. Yeah, now we get this restaurant scene which I yeah, is is definitely a turning point for them. Yeah, so much so that it's my... Excellent! Damn, unexpected. The way the needle drops here, when the the whole revelation between... Like, it's it's never it's never said... And I, li- I, 
like I can I knew at this point I knew obviously that their their spouses are cheating on each other on, on them with each other. But still, when they mention about the tie and the handbag and how yeah, yeah, she has that, yeah, my husband wears that too. They can only get it from that place. I physically just did that oh like I knew I knew it already, but the way it presented itself gave me that physical reaction like, oh shit, that is tough. And the music there's that light music in the background playing during all this. And then as soon as that revelation happens, it just stops and it's silent and their faces are just dropping. And you just, you, it is just such a depressing point that like they know what's going on here. They don't need to, they don't need to f- actually say, yeah, they're cheating. Just those little drops of, oh, where'd you get that handbag? Oh, that tie there. Yeah. Uh, my wife got it for me for a present. Yeah. My husband has the same tie. And it's like, oh, shit. Like it's so well structured and managed in this scene. I loved it. Mm. One thing I'm surprised you didn't uh, mention is the camera work here because it's so it's so jarring for me compared to the rest of the film where the camera is so deliberate and very stoic in most of the scenes here. Where when they do have this reveal, the camera just like just starts swinging around between oh, the each swing, person. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, oh wow! Like if 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 you weren't paying attention already, like this is this is a very different scene to the rest of the film. No, no, great, there, excellent. There, there was one quick camera swing that they did here, where it instead of swinging from each character, it actually swings from behind Mister yeah, Chow. It starts yeah. from way behind and sort of brings up to where he is. I th- yeah, again, fantastic. Yeah. And I think, like you said before, this this is the big critical turning point. This here. You think that, are they going to start their own relationship here? No. They start to imagine what, who would have started this? How their spouses yeah. would have instigated this relationship. And yeah, I thought that was incredibly fascinating. This is incredible. I mean, we start, before we go to that scene, we do have another tiny scene here where we just see them walking uh, at the street yeah. at night. And there's this very loud space between them where, you know, like they've had this revelation, but- just because they've had it together, they are still very much alone. And then you hear this 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 voice. You don't see their faces, but you just see them from behind. And they say, I wonder how it began. And then we cut to this scene of them role-playing, you know, them creating this fantasy in, you know, between each other on how it, how it could have happened. And the the perverse nature of what they're doing here is, I mean, it's it's... You know, it's almost almost sadistic or masochistic where they are this is not gonna be a good thing for them. Like they are just making themselves hurt more by playing out how it would have been for their spouses to, you know, to touch the other one's shirt, to place a hand on someone's hand and it's I mean it's, it's them painful. trying to under, it's, it's them trying to understand why they would have done this without them actually just going to them and asking. Like mm. they're try, they're trying to avoid that confrontation by trying to resolve it between themselves. Yeah. I mean it, it's much it's much it's much easier to discuss your problems with someone else who's probably in the same boat as you in this case it is than to actually confront the situation with the person themselves. Yeah, and I like that uh Mrs. Chan struggles a lot with doing this. Like it's not like yeah. They're having fun here and they're playing this game. Like she, she, you know, almost breaks down here. Like it's just too painful for her to do it. And then, you know, they sort of say, oh, what does it matter who made the first move? You know, it's, it's already happened. Yeah. And even here where they're at to dinner again and he's ordered her, she's ordered him a steak because that's what her husband would have had and puts on the spicy mustard because she likes to eat that. 
So it's it's starting to progress here where they they're getting into a bit more details about how like even out to dinner like would this would would this have been their exact meal that they they had. Mm. So this is this here is where I really noticed the the changes in time with the dresses. Also yeah. with his tie as well. Okay, I, I didn't notice his tie at all. I've got to be honest, but he, her dresses are very very nice. Well, her dresses this- are very you know in your face here, and you can tell that you can tell those changes so much more than you know a little tie. Yeah. But we do cut to them, you know, riding back in a in a cab here, and she's, you know, why didn't you call me today? I wasn't sure if you wanted to. And then he reaches, like, she's being very cold towards him, and he reaches over to touch her hand, and she pulls away. Now, is this their relationship, or is there is this still them pretending to be their spouses? Yeah, which is what's so great about this film because every yeah. scene and every interaction between them, it could be either. Yeah, and there's so many scenes that can be read both way. Yeah, this which, one. Yeah, which I'm exactly, exactly. It, there's so many of these scenes where you cannot tell if it's this, if it's them reenacting the spouses or if it's actually them. And sometimes that can be a bad thing. I can't tell what's going on. But this is nah, perfect nah, because nah, nah, it, nah. Make, it, it makes sense either way. Oh, okay. So you're not saying sometimes in this film it's a bad no, thing. No, 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 no. Yeah, in okay. other films, in where other you, films, yeah, yeah. yeah I I've completely agree. But again, I, I I sort of feel like as the movie starts now, more and more of the scenes are them role playing, and as their relationship progresses, more and more of the scenes are them in real life or maybe yes maybe they might be playing under the pretense that they're playing other people but really that line of what's real and what is an act has blurred beyond recognition uh but this this scene here where uh as i said she pulls her hand away there's a scene later on the exact same scene perfect yeah perfect and she's exactly the same she reacts the opposite way she holds his hand and they have this moment so just i love i love the symmetry here and even still, like we've talked about their their platonic relationship here and how it won't look good in the eyes of everyone else. Chow gets out of the taxi first down the street. They don't get out of the taxi together when they go to their, you know, their respective places, even though they're like they live next door to each other. It just you don't want to be seen as that kind of relationship here. Yeah, naturally. And again, this would be how their spouses would have would have done it when they're they're going yeah, back. Exactly. I like the nice cut. You got here where he's run, you know, d- going down the the road here in the dark and rain, and then just snap cuts to the next day. Not raining, daylight, same exact shot, and you got I think it's what ping coming down the road. You could almost say the cut went ping. Yep, good one. <laughs> I mean, got to get a little joke in here, don't we? I mean, and little it was. <laughs> little. Sometimes a little. <laughs> so they they start talking about marriage here, Mister Chow, and Mrs Chan. Uh, Mr. Chow, very depressed, very uh, negative view on marriage here. Says everything changes when you marry. You know, you can't, you lose all your freedom. All your decisions need to be made together. It's a very sad outlook on life. And she instantly agrees. Like, it's not even like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's like, she's just like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think you can actually see a bit of natural progression of their their actual relationship here where Ping comes up and starts talking to Mrs. Chen about how Mr. Chow is feeling ill and, you know, he's very specifically wants some sesame syrup. And then it cuts to Mrs. Chan making a ton of sesame syrup. Like she she cares for this guy and she's doing this sort of stuff to help him. Especially when they talk to each other later and they mention the sesame syrup and she was like, Oh, you know, I was just making some anyway. It's like, yeah, righto. Mm. She says it was a coincidence. What a yes. coincidence. And they actually use that word coincidence a lot in this film. I found it interesting. There's a big chunk of the film here where they're basically stuck in the room because Mrs. Wen and Mr. Koo and all that are playing Mahjong all bloody night yep. and they can't leave. 
Well, she can't leave. That's the thing. They, they can't even be seen in the same household together. And it will look, obviously will look super sus that she comes out of his room. Yeah. It's funny that she says later on, I should have just walked out. Like, I should have just said, yeah, I was, you know, dropping books off or whatever she says. And that's right. Yeah. But it's just that that idea in their head that they can't be doing this, even though they're doing nothing wrong. Oh, now we get this scene, which I've I've marked as possible excellent in my notes. Fantastic scene where we get, we get uh, a man's back. And we get Mrs. Chan talking and asking her what we think at this point is her husband. Because again, it's it's framed in that way where we don't oh, yes. see where we don't see the husband's face. So when we just see the back, we're like, okay, this is us not not seeing the spouse. This is how we're gonna see a scene like this. And she's, you know, really drilling the husband, like, be honest. Um, do you have a mistress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She says yes, and then we see him. And it's such a shock. Like for me, I, I I didn't expect it. It's Mr. Chow. Uh, and she slaps him. Okay. This is this is what I had in my head as I was watching this. I thought that this was Mr. Chow and this was real. What? Right now? Yeah. She was actually having a go at him because he has turned out to have a mistress. So, when she okay. gives him the weakest slap, I'm like, well, this is a bit underwhelming. And then it's like, but oh, then he- shit. They're yeah, still practicing. They're still reenacting. Yeah. Like, it's like, shit. They bloody yeah. got me. Because he says, he says, if if he admits it outright, uh, you got to let him have it. Yeah, <laughs> I was exactly. Like, I was like, oh, damn, this is good. And she breaks down, like she, she breaks this down, is like it's a, yeah, her genuine reaction. Yeah, she breaks down. Uh, she says she didn't expect it to hurt so much and cries in his arms. Like so much of this film's essence is on on display in this scene. Like their marriage is just torn by lies and deception, lack of communication. Uh, finally, you know, followed by this reveal. But I don't know, it's, it sort of takes this route of being much more mature and honest. Like, yes, she knows deep down that her husband's cheating. And yes, it's not really her husband saying these things. It's Mr. Chow. But it still hurts her so much. I just, I also think it would pain her to see Mr. Chow saying these things because she's starting to get feelings for him too, I feel. Yeah. And to see him, you know, almost become what her husband is as well. I think she'd struggle with that as well. Like, if I pursue this relationship, is this where this relationship is going to end? Because I've just seen, you know, this possible future for us. Well, you're all, you're all over it today, aren't you? Uh, I have you, you my did actually, you did actually You did actually miss a couple of scenes that I had some notes for here. You, you, you skipped over a little bit here. The close-up of the shoes as she leaves the place, finally. Yep. I didn't know if that was going to come back or not. It comes back in a good way. Comes back. Uh, did you... You obviously had to have noticed the large amount of red in this film. <laughs> yes, there was a lot I mean, of red. Lot, especially around this area, especially because we haven't mentioned that this is the point where Chow says he's going to rent another place to work on his his stories, I believe it is. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I was I was uh in my research I found that the director here uh said that the movie Vertigo inspired him heavily here. Um, it, in regards to the use of colour. And I thought even the use of green to represent envy and jealousy, I thought, was prominent as well in many scenes. Not going to lie, because I knew we were going to probably talk about a bit of colour here. That's the first thing I went to. Our last yeah. time we discussed colour in this way was Vertigo. Yeah, and look how well that went for us. <laughs> hey, we're much more m- matured with age now. Hmm. But we do get this scene with Mrs. Swen here lecturing... Uh, Mrs. Chan about not having too much fun. And it's like, how dare you, all right? <laughs> Go lecture the other two. <laughs> There's more things out there than Mahjong, all right? 
Hmm. But it's here where she actually agrees to have dinner with them finally. It's almost like she's sort of giving in to them saying, oh, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. Yeah, I'll have dinner with you. But then even then, it, it ends with her just walking away, staring outside the window. Yep, exactly. You can see, you can see the turn here. And now we get, I, I love these uh, Miss, Mrs. Chan offer scenes because we get this scene where Mr. Ho, <laughs> Mr. Ho says to uh, Mrs. Chan that uh, Mr. Chow called and uh, he, wants, he, wants, he wants her to give him a call back. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she just sits down and types. And it's like a complete role reversal here where you got the boss now taking messages from the, what yeah. he thinks is, you know, the mister or mistress. What do you call a male mistress? A misteress. Not bad, not bad. A misteress. <laughs> um, and he looks, he shakes his head like he's disapproving of what she's yeah. doing. It's like, mate. <sighs> and I love it how it's got to this point where Chow just calls and says, I'd like to speak to her. Where before, didn't they have some sort of code like ring three times and hang up and I'll know it's yeah. you? Yep. So yep. now it's like, no, no, forget that. And this is kind of their, I guess, their final conversation here about, yeah, we've been doing this for a while, but let's, we need to talk about us at the moment. And we hear that Mr. Chan is back uh, from his trip. She's not, she's not going to leave her husband. Like Mr. Yeah, Chow's talking I'll, about moving I'll away. Say, I'll say it now. This is my. Excellent. Nice. I feel like this is. The most honest conversation they ever have with each other here. Yes, and to have to have it all come out here, to have you know, Mister Mister Chow here admit that he loves her, say she won't leave her husband, and it's it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It really is, and for them to say, you know, like I I thought we wouldn't be like them, you know, like they went into this to. To do this role play to understand and fantasize about how this stuff happened, but even having knowing what this led to with their their spouses and knowing the pratfalls that like how easy it would be, like they comment on how easy and all these little things, like there's all these little steps that add up. They've done all these little steps. They're now yeah. at that point where they they are almost cheating. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. They basically are cheating at least. You know, mentally. It's like a, it's emotionally. Like, yeah, I was gonna say. Mo- I was gonna say emotionally. They they are. You know, like they didn't think they would fall in love with each other. Um, they say they were only curious. They just wanted to know what was happening. But now they know feelings can just creep up on you. And now they do uh, one last role play. You know, they say that because they're not they're not actually leaving each other now. Uh, in their minds, they're not actually breaking up their relationship, but. They want to role play their own goodbyes to each other. It's 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 amazing, and she breaks down like she she gives a stunning performance here. Like her yeah. just sobbing, shaking in his arms. It's yeah, it it moved me. And there's you get that same shot again of holding the hand, and this time it's reciprocated. Yeah, good shot here as well, where you got the two of them sitting on the opposite side of the wall as it pans through the wall to the other side where they're sitting there. Hmm. Yep, that distance is back between them. So, why do you think uh, they don't just leave their partners and be together? I mean, is it is it an honour thing? I genuinely, I think that's what it is. I think that the whole point of this is they do not want to become the people who hurt them so much. They do not want their love to be tainted with this, you know, this vile beginning, this emotion that is like their love is will forever be coupled with the pain of their previous marriage. I just think there's so much 
you know, even though they long for each other to varying degrees, they just can't ever get past that step where they've started this, you know, in a way to understand these, you know, their partners who are cheating and who are mistreating them and the lies and they they can't get past that. And I think also there is that cultural uh, separation as well. Yeah. Very good. Then we get a time jump, which I wasn't expecting. (laughs) (laughs) See, now this here, this, this is a play on time for sure. This scene where you got Mr. Chow in his new place, he comes in and he's like, he's a bit curious about the place, like something's missing. He sees the red lipstick on the cigarette. Yeah. He ha- you know, he has a go at his, you know, landlord, I guess, that something's missing. It's Ping he has dinner with, isn't it? Yeah, he has, he has dinner with Ping, but it's it's more, we're not, we're not at that point yet. This scene here with the lipstick on the cigarette, this is just one of those times where they've, they're just missing each other. And there there is the other time where that happens, but- because after this, we don't get the dinner yet. Uh, we get the phone call. Do you remember the phone call where Mrs. Chan calls Chow? Yes, that's right. And they're like, they can't, like, she can't speak to him. She's sad and alone. She's got someone on the other end of this phone who will be there for her, but she just can't bring herself to to take that next step. This mentioning of a secret into the the whole of the oak tree. Did you think this was going to come back in the way it does? No, I didn't. Uh, um, like, yeah, this scene, this scene is. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. I mean, this is, this is almost my excellent. Not this, not this scene, obviously, with uh, Ping here, because fuck that guy. But <laughs> the setup, the setup here, where it's it's so simple, you know, like. He says, you know, it used to be a tradition. If you had this secret, you couldn't tell anyone. You'd go into the mountains, you'd carve a hole in a tree and you'd whisper it in the tree and then you'd cover it with mud and that would be your way to get over it, to bury it. And yeah, yeah it's... it's I, I, Like, I, I heard it and I was like, okay, this is relevant because he has this great secret and Ping is, you know, egging him on a bit. No, 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 I got nothing. I got nothing. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, do we want to get to that or... Before we do, because it is it is the last scene coming up. So before we yeah. do, we again get another almost you know almost see each other. Mister yep. Chow They're visits just missing the old each place. other. Yep, and they there's a lot of nostalgia about there. He's reminiscing about the old days. They're reflecting on their first scene, uh, but you know that era has passed. Nothing that belonged exists to it any- anymore. Uh, and then we get the news footage, which Mm-mm. very unexpected. Yeah, a bit, uh, bit out of place. Yeah, I think it's just speaking to, obviously, to what was going the, on. Sign of the times. Yeah, the sign of the times. Of the, the changing of the guard. And it's here we get we get uh, Mr. Chow at the tree. You know, he's touching this hole. And I don't know when you picked up on it, but yeah, it was... It, I, when he's doing this, I was like, oh, here we go. And then when, he's, when you just see the back of him, just this little man, this little well-dressed man just staring so closely and you're like, what is he doing? And then it cuts to the front and you see, you don't hear him. I love that there's no, no subtitles. You don't I love need to. there's nothing. You just see his jaw move slightly. You see the muscles yeah. in his neck going. And you're like, oh my God, he's... He's burying, you know, the the love he had. You know, he's he's giving up hope. It's 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 gorgeous. And then we get that final text. Is that he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch, and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. And after watching that movie and you read those words, you're like, God damn. Yeah, yeah. Why you do this to me, movie? Yep, yep. And that is it for in the mood for love. Any last words? 
All right, Dean, what is your final thoughts on In the Mood for Love? I mean, yeah, this this film did blow me away. It did, in case you can't tell. Uh, it's just, it's such a touching film. It's so different from what I'm used to watching. Like, it's not this usual love story, but it, it's so powerful and it's so beautifully made. Uh, the camera movements are, are graceful. The shots, the cinematography is stunning. Use of color is perfect. The score, that violin, that violin, the violin, violin. <laughs> the violin that is used so sparingly just makes makes the effect of its use so much more. I, I loved it. Uh, the costumes are great. But the way the way each each character plays their role to the other, filling the gap created in their lives by their absent and unfaithful spouses, it, it's just fascinating. Uh, the combination of their eventual love, his cl- his eventual clarity around those feelings, his secret that he carries with him that he owns that's his. You know, I feel like I feel like uh, it's like adaptation where you got Donnie telling uh, Charlie at the end. You know, like yeah, I knew I knew they were laughing, but that was my love. I own that. I feel like yeah. that's what's happening here. Like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't eventuate for him. There's no big happy ending, but that's his. He he owns that. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I've I've said before the short the short runtime because it is a short film. It really does increase the feeling that every scene is important and having, you know, finding out later that this film was actually much longer and they cut like 30 minutes out of it, I feel like that was such a wise thing to do. (laughs) And even though this is a slower paced film, the editing feels very tight. Um, I've just, I watched it yesterday, Arvo. I've been thinking about it nonstop. I'm giving it four and a half stars, Endo. Okay, I, I knew you wouldn't go straight to a five. Uh, I was I was kind of expecting a four and a half there. Look, uh, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. Uh, much different to what we're used to. It's a very touching and very thought-provoking film. As you can tell, we've had a pretty decent discussion about this, something we haven't done in a very long time. Very minimal jokes that we've gone through here. I feel like the way this film uh, has been shot and put together with the use of very interesting cinematography and music to, to couple with the you know the feelings and emotions that these two characters are going through as you just see their their progression of not just their own emotional response to themselves and what they're going through but them together as this potential you know you know just general emotional relationship there's very little words spoken about this, but it's just the, the the mannerisms and the way they react to each other and certain situations that you can, you can just tell. You can you know exactly what's going on in their head. The way this story plays out with this really ingenious way of not just going straight to this, yeah, we're going to do this relationship. It's trying to understand why this has happened through recreating these roles. It's fascinating. And the way that it presents it so that sometimes you can't even tell which is which and it never tells and it never gives you the full understanding as to what it is it leaves it up to you to your imagination and what you feel like is going on based off the emotional response to the characters that are what they've been going through so far I, I it's a stroke of genius like this film like is genuinely great i'm giving it four stars nah I, come on hendo yeah nah i'm giving it four stars but i could easily easily watch this again and i could easily see it going up again yeah i'm in the same boat <laughs> I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is In the Mood for Love going to sit on your rankings? All right. Okay, I'm looking at my list. I'm looking at my five-star films. I'm looking at my four-and-a-half-star films. And this is as close to a five-star film 
as I think I have on my list without being a five-star film. So, I'm going to put it as my highest four-and-a-half-star ranked film. So, that puts it above No Country for Old Men, above The Wizard of Oz, but below Terminator and The Lion King. I'm putting it as my new number 24. Very good. I am also going to start at the top of my tier list here, my four stars. It goes up against The Thing. I'm going to put it lower than The Thing, but I'm going to keep it higher than The Wolf of Wall Street. So for me, In the Mood for Love is my new number 42. Very low. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before we get into the back half of the podcast here, just like to give a shout out and say that this podcast is brought to us by our awesome patrons over the last couple of years. These guys have been fantastic. We've uh, got over 100 episodes over there now, Dean. We've just kicked over episode 100. Yeah, they've been they've been fantastic and they've really kept us motivated on our toes making sure we're not uh you know slacking off over there but it they've been great. They've just the, the support we get from them still still blows me away now and uh no, it's it's very exciting for us. Yeah, we're near the end of our David Fincher series. We just finished off with Social Network last week and we've got the Girl with the Dragon tattoo coming up. Bit of a different film. I mean, different, yeah, dour, unusual. Doesn't mean it's bad, though. Could be good. Who knows? We'll find out coming up. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so if you want to join the patron crew of the Movie Journey podcast, we've got many different episodes going on. You get the opportunity to uh, pick movies for us to watch, different series we've got going, lots of polls going on, early access to the main episode. Head on over to patreon.com slash the movie journey and check out what we've got to offer. All right, mate, let's get back into it with our next segment, which is, of course... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh! Where we have our aforementioned patrons give us some reviews on the film. So our first one here is from our awesome patron, Mr. Chris Beardsall. In the mood for heartache, based on the overwhelming praise this film gets on Letterboxd, I must say, it's a tad overrated. Having said that, Wai has crafted a film with so much tension and with an overwhelming feeling of longing it can be hard to get through at times. The two leads are convincing in their roles and the film has a beautiful colour palette to it. The score can be quite repetitive at times and it hurts the film. I can see why people love it and I'm glad I saw it, but I won't be rushing to do a rewatch anytime soon. Well, there you go. I'm not sure how I feel hearing such negative feedback on a, on this film, Hendo. Hold that thought, Dean. <laughs> wow. All right. Dear Movie Journey, next week, can you please select a film from the top 250 IMDb list as opposed to picking one from the bottom 250? Wait, what's that? This one's in the top 250 and it has a 4.4 rating on Letterboxd and a 94% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Just kidding. Of course it has a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is a laughing stock, as is anyone that likes this movie. (laughs) In the Mood for Love is the sort of movie that makes me remember the value one star and one and a half star films bring to the table. For example, Bill and Ted 3, a one star movie. That movie could have been awesome if they didn't mess the thing up. It could have been four stars. Whereas It could have been excellent. Whereas this pile of dump was never going to be four stars. Somewhere Dean agrees, along because it was always going to be four and a half. <laughs> somewhere along the line, this movie's great aspirations of being a one or one and a half star movie were abandoned and the wastelands of half or zero star ratings were embraced. This is one of the most boring movies I have ever seen. 
I didn't understand what was happening for 80% of the movie, but when I was able to stop my mind from wandering for a scene or two, I was greeted with the most tedious, insufferable dragging outs of nothing I've seen on screen. Like, with another movie, you would say, gee, they dragged out that courtroom scene, or they dragged out that subplot with the Mexican cartel too much, and I was a bit bored. This movie, on the other hand, drags out scenes where the characters walk upstairs, or sit on a bed, or stand in a room, or look out a window, or eat food, which is gross. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh... The film's setting and locations are so bland, they're invisible. The conversations and romance is prolonged, snail-paced, and exhausting. This is not only the worst film Movie Journey have broken down to date, it is one of the worst films I've ever seen. I know I've seen worse, but man, I'd struggle finding another film this boring. Half a star. Oh my god. Wow. That is outrageous. Half a star. <laughs> oh, Shane. After that serious conversation, it was good to have a chuckle. Wow. I, I am speechless. Are you, though? Speechless, but not surprised. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you is, what is your favourite foreign film from the 2000s? Now, we've got our Facebook listener community group up here with their answers. If you want to get involved over there, head on over. We'll leave a link in the notes. It's our Facebook listener community group. Get involved. First one here from awesome patron Nick Haskins from the Epic Film Guys. Downfall. Man, I haven't seen Downfall in probably 12 years. Yeah, I would be in the same boat there. All right, next up here from Paul at the Countdown, Train to Busan. Uh, hmm. 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 Not sure about that release date there, Paul. <laughs> I think Paul just likes to answer Train to Busan to everything. I mean, you can't blame him. It's a great movie. Uh, oh, speaking of which, I'm surprised you have not seen Peninsula yet. I mean, it didn't get good reviews at all, and I'm sort of... Yeah. You know what I am looking forward to watching? A live, a new uh, Korean zombie film. Ah, all right. Never heard of it. Here's one from... Uh, who is this guy? Dean Jeffrey. Fingers crossed it's in the mood for love. <laughs> I hadn't seen it, and, and I was like, oh, let's throw in a joke here, because I wasn't expecting good things from this film. But uh, yeah, next up from Talon Crichton, City of God is great, but my personal favourite is Old Boy. Sam at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs wants to cheat again and give us two. He's going with City of God and Pan's Labyrinth. So if one of those is correct, he will not be eligible for Sweet Sweet Merch, because you cheat with two picks. <laughs> All right, let's go on over to our Patreon page here. First up from Hayden Gerloff, there's two clear standouts. City of God edges out Pan's Labyrinth. Just well done there on not being a fancy Fenzerton, Hayden. <laughs> Brother Shane goes with Hero. Ah, Hunkrio says, I'd have to say Pan's Labyrinth, though I was tempted to choose Hero. I don't blame you. Rob Manafield has gone with Pan's Labyrinth. And lastly here from Chris Beardsell, Memories of Murder. All right, before we get to our top five, I did do a poll, put up a whole bunch of foreign films from the 2000s to see which one's going to reign supreme over here. Our top five here, uh, equal fifth and fourth with 7% each. We have Spirited Away and The Lives of Others. Coming in third with 14% is Old Boy. 
Any thoughts on what's going to take it down here before I just go into it? I mean, clearly it's going to be City of God and Pan's Labyrinth. I will guess... Uh, I'll guess Pan's Labyrinth is one. All right. It's 18% to 21%. Coming in second is Pan's Labyrinth. Ah. And City of God takes it down with 21% of the vote. All right. Enough of polls. Let's get into our top five foreign films from the 2000s. And as usual, we'll kick it off with you, Dean. What is your number five? My number five, shockingly, is In the Mood for Love. Wow. I actually thought it'd be higher. No. No. What about you, Hendo? What's your number five? All right, well, my number five is Pan's Labyrinth. Wow. All right, my number four is Hero. Ooh, Hero. Very good film. My number four is Spirited Away. Okay, my number three is Pan's Labyrinth. Very good. My number three is Old Boy. Ah, just missed my list. That's okay. It it was on the list a day ago. (laughs) I mean, it really was. Uh, My number two is Spirited Away. Very good. My number two is Hero. And my number one, City of God. And my number one is City of God. It's kind of sickening that we usually have the same number one. Is it? No, I like it. I like it too, Hendo. But our competition winner between our patrons and our Facebook group Sam, you should have you should have tried to change it. You should have stuck to one at least, because the winner is the person with the most conviction and the most uh, confidence in his answer. <laughs> the back-to-back winner, Hayden Gerloff. What is going on? <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's so he's so into this sweet sweet merch. He he puts his conviction out there, and he's gonna slam out his number one. As he, won't, he won't know what to do with all this sweet sweet merch. He's got it piling up there. Looking at it going, what am I going to do with this? Just looking at it going, damn, that is impressive. (laughs) He's got it all framed. Every time he wins, just framed. (gasps) Nah, well done, mate. (laughs) We'll get in contact with you and send you out some sweet, sweet merch. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of our Pod v Pod 41 movie draft between us and Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast in our blind movie draft on best comedic performances. Now, we were team one, and we had Will Ferrell from Anchorman, Bill Murray from Groundhog Day, Steve Carell from The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Eddie Murphy in Trading Places, and Robin Williams in Aladdin. And Gerald was team two, and he had Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, John Goodman in The Big Lebowski, Nathan Lane in The Birdcage, and Robin Williams in Mrs. Doubtfire. All right, let's take a look at some responses here. First one from Ben from Film Busters. Trade out Jim Carrey and bring Murray into Team 2Ps, and that's a stellar lineup. I'll go Team 2Ps, even though Murray could probably carry Team Movie Journey on his shoulders. Next up from the Rough House podcast. This one was crazy difficult. Carol and Goodman cancel each other out because neither belong here. Bit harsh. If Eddie in Coming to America was on Team Movie Journey, it would be a slam dunk for them. But despite Nathan Lane being a great call, Burgundy, Phil Connors and Jeannie pull the win for Movie Journey. Awesome patron David Powell says, Can't vote for Will Ferrell in this topic. It just feels wrong. How dare you? Plus, while 40-Year-Old Virgin is a great comedy, it's more the supporting cast that makes it funny. I guess he's got the same opinion as Gerald there. Yeah, I did I did think that was eerily similar. Uh, next up from Julio at The Contrarians. Nathan Lane in The Birdcage is a really good dark horse pick. Plus, Team 2Ps has a better Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams performance, so Team 2Ps. Next one here from Church's Fan Papa. Man, this is tough. 
Probably toughest I've seen so far. Though, in my opinion, Williams in Aladdin was far more iconic than Doubtfire, and Murray and Groundhog Day was one of the funniest ever. Team Two-Piece counters with Kerry and Lane, and wins via tiebreaker Murphy, his multiple coming to America roles, edging out his solo trading places. All right, well thought out. I disagree with the uh, end result there, but okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. All right, what? lastly here from LJ Human. A tough one, as I equally hate Robin Williams' performances in Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire. That's uh, it's unusual. Some of hate the genie. Some of his worst work. I go with I go with Team Two Peas for Carrie's work on Ace Ventura. His groundbreaking follow to Earth Girls Are Easy, despite the problematic homophobic overtones in the film. Earth Girls Are Easy. Not often you get a mention of that film. I don't even know what that is. Is it a space movie? Yeah, Gina Davis, uh, Jim Carrey, maybe Jeff Goldblum. Okay, sounds okay. It's not. (laughs) All right, off the list already. All right, thank you, everyone, for putting in a response. Let's take a look at the results here. And, well, if you saw the result of the Pod in real time, you'd probably assume we were going to win this, because we did. 57% to Gerald's 43. Bad luck, mate. Gerald continuing his streak here. Yeah, we'll give you some time to rest before we get you back on the show for another flogging. (laughs) Fair enough. There's this tournament. Let the tournament four of our Tournament of Champions. Let's take a look at these results. First match here is the Empire Strikes Back against the Dark Knight. And making their way into the grand final is the Empire Strikes Back, 57% to 43. So bad luck to the Dark Knight out in the final four. And the second match here, we have Psycho coming up against Pulp Fiction. And it was a bit of a runaway here. Pulp Fiction winning 64% to 36 so, our grand final match out of all the films we've done. This, I think we've been doing this for over a year now. Starting all the way back with the 40s. We did the decade films. We're starting with the 40s. We've got our grand final match, The Empire Strikes Back against Pulp Fiction. A good, a good final two. Yes, I agree. So, what's next? All right, Hendo. I'm curious. How do you follow up in the mood for love? You follow it up with another film that neither of us have seen. Ooh, interesting. You follow it up with another foreign film. Okay. You follow it up with a black and white foreign film from the 50s. Okay. We are going with the number 221 ranked film on the list, Rafifi. Rafifi. Nice. Yes, I've heard very good things about this film and I've been anxious to see it and it just so happens to be on this list, so why not do it? Okay, I know absolutely nothing about this film, so cool. Hopefully it's as good as In the Mood for Love. Maybe it could be better. Always room for improvement. Okay. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out the episode, and we will see you next week for Rafifi. Bye. Bye.